Once we make that commitment, now the work really begins to not just help others, but help ourselves climb. Like I said earlier, right? It wasn't to see the Paralympic Games. It was to just stand up on my foot for the first time for 15 seconds. And that's where the work begins. And will we commit ourselves that deeply to the work to make sure we are getting the best talent on board in our organizations? Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. My guest today is John Register. John is an inspirational keynote speaker, a change mindset warrior, and he works with business leaders and individuals to hurdle adversity, amputate fear, embrace a new normal mindset, and to win life's medals. John is on the show today because he is a masterful storyteller, and he's got some things to say about work, talent, ableism, and what it all means for the business community. If you're interested in a conversation about grit and resilience and want to hear from someone who is just completely awesome, sit back and enjoy this conversation with John Register. Hey, John, welcome to the podcast. Oh my gosh, I'm so honored to be here. I can't wait for this conversation. Well, I love your energy and enthusiasm. We're going to quiz you at the end to see if you feel the same way, you know, just to <laughs> just to make sure you're still having fun. Well, listen, I'm excited to have you here. We've got a good mutual friend by the name of Jim Knight, a former guest on the podcast. He's amazing. But before we talk about Jim and all things related to you, why don't you tell our listeners who you are and what you're all about? You know, there's a lot of things that can happen in a person's life. And at 529 in the afternoon, I was one of the world's fastest hurdlers. I was on the track to make the Army's officer candidate school, become an officer, do 20 years in the military. And then at 530 that same afternoon, as I was training for the Olympic trials, I misstepped a hurdle, dislocated my left knee, severed an artery behind the kneecap, and seven days later became an amputee. So I'm a person who deals a lot with life's shifting, just like we all do. Mine just was really dramatic and it happened really fast fast. And so I challenge people and help people to hurdle their adversity and amputate the fears that are in their life. So well said. One of the things I know about you right off the bat is that you are a natural storyteller and you believe in the power of story. I can hear it in the way you just described your life. So talk to me about the importance of story and what you're doing with it today. Story is one of these things that I don't know if we can go deep enough into because when we're at our youngest moments of life, somebody's telling us a story. And because of that, we begin to shape narratives around the story we're telling ourselves or the stories that we're telling others. So in my life, it's really important to lead with story because that connects to the emotion, to the audience, to the brain, everything begins there. And then I can move into what I wanna teach about that for my own life personally, and then transfer it over to the audience with like a, well, how about you statement? And then that switches the brain into thinking about how the story actually relates to the person that might be learning from that story. JR, one of the cool things about your story is that you didn't come out and say, well, my name is John and I own a consulting company and I try to teach corporations, <laughs> blah, 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 which is what most people do, which is not a story, by the way. It's like a series of anecdotes, facts, data about your life. So talk to me a little bit about corporate storytelling, because I know that's something you're interested in, you're passionate about, and you teach. Two women started this company down in, in Texas. They were attorneys that studied at Harvard Law, and they found themselves not 
not getting to the top of the ceiling because they wanted to have children. And then corporate America said, no, we don't think you're serious enough. And so they bounced them out and they went and started their own consulting company. And I'm on their kind of consulting board and they were having trouble getting the funding rounds going. And when I looked at what they were doing and they kind of shared what they were saying, it was exactly what you were talking about. They were only giving the data and facts. And I said, the reason I'm down here is because it's amazing story you told me. You must lead with that. If only for 60 seconds, 90 seconds, just set it up of why you're here. And the next round they won, the round after that they won because people in corporate America, when we're talking about our businesses and our concepts, it's not about necessarily the mission statements and the bullet points. We want to know why you're in business. Why are you helping other individuals to achieve and succeed in their lives? Well, I love that you've bridged the connection between corporate America and storytelling. I think for so long we've been data focused, right? It was like, if it can't be measured, it doesn't matter. But how do you measure love and compassion and empathy? You measure it through stories, right? I want to go back though, because you haven't done this work your whole life. You've done a lot of different things to lead you to this very moment where you're helping people tell better stories. So you described your experience as an amputee. And by the way, thank you for your service in the military. Oh, we're all running from something or running to something. For sure. That's absolutely accurate. <laughs> so you have this experience and a lot of people would solely define themselves by this moment, right? And you, in a sense, have done that. You've taken that story, but you've done other things with it, right? So tell me a little bit about your journey from that moment where you made that misstep and your life changed. You said something that just triggered me and I have to go back to it. And what we measure what matters and I think we have to, but the way we can measure it is by seeing what the results are in the customer's that are coming through and how they are responding to our product because of the better story we are telling about it. In in my journey, I was really struggling. It wasn't that I was gonna check out or do any of those things. I was really in a lot of pain. And when my leg was first amputated, my wife, came in and I'm thinking all kind of crazy stuff. Is she going to stay with me? Is, she, is my son still going to see me as his father? Do I still have a job in the military? All of these negative thoughts were hitting my mind. And then she says the words that really stopped my downward spiral. She says, you know what, John? We're going to get through this together. This is just our new normal. And when she said those words, she really baselined my entire existence. And that became a platform later on in life when I call back to it now. At the time, John Jr. was playing on the swing sets and I'm crying in a wheelchair. I can't get up. I can't go play with him. And he jumps off the chair, you know, like kids do, five years old, runs over. Hey, dad, mom, you see my big jump? You see my big jump? And he splits between myself and Alice, my wife. And I realized in that moment that he has just validated me as his father and he's created his new normal. And that really solidified a lot of things in my life that I have control over this. I can choose which way I'm going to go. Am I going to go down the rabbit hole and go negativity or am I going to really elevate with the story? And it's not like I'm going to go to later on win a Paralympic silver medal. It's not that I could see that. It was let me stand up on my good leg for 15 seconds today. And when I make 15 seconds, I'm going to make 30. When I make 30, I'm going to make a minute. And every single day, it's going to be an incremental measurement that I'm going to do in order to succeed and achieve. I swam for physical therapy. I got so fast in the water, I made a Paralympic swim team. Paralympic Games are games for athletes with physical disabilities and visual impairment, unlike the Special Olympics, which are cognitive disabilities. So I made that team. 
And then I saw an athlete running on the track with an artificial limb. And, I, and one of my All-American honors at Arkansas was in the long jump. And I said, I have to get one of those things made for running. And four years later, I wind up going to Sydney, Australia and winning the silver medal in the long jump, setting an American record in the process. So that's kind of where everything can go after getting up and taking 15 seconds on your one good leg you have left. Well, there's so much to unpack in that story. I mean, amazing accomplishments emotionally, physically. But I think one thing might surprise some members of the audience, and that's that the military has such a role in the world of sports. You were running track for the military, right? So like, what's that connection there? The military, and we can go a lot of different ways. One is in 1948, there's a group called SISM, the World Military Championships. And so a lot of times in war, what happens is those that are fighting the battles with each other and against each other, it's not a natural thing and people wanna make reparations. So the SISM group actually uses sports as a tool to bring those together. So countries that have fought against each other and with each other can meet on the battlefield of sport. So secondly, the army back in the Vietnam era days when everybody had the card to come into the military, they created a special services branch and that would have the baseball players, the football players and those that would come in. They were kind of shifted over there and became these great sports programs. That turned into the Army's world-class athlete program, which I was a member of as an athlete and then a member of as an administrator. And then finally, once I separated from that and started working for the United States Olympic Committee, began to see if they would expand it for athletes with physical disabilities, and they did. So that's how the military plays a role where the service member can be in the military and actually train for the Olympic or Paralympic Games now. That's pretty amazing because here you are at this moment where you're an amputee and for all intents and purposes, you think a lot of things are over, including your career working with the military, and it's not. There was still a road for you. There was still an opportunity for you to be of service. I think we find there are parallel paths all around us, and we only think that there's one choice that we have, and that's whatever is right dead in front of us. I never knew about the Paralympic Games. I only knew about the Olympic Games. And if had I known about it, maybe I would have made the shift faster or maybe chosen to do the amputation differently, knowing that was coming up. But I didn't know about those things. This just as we all think that we may be on one track for one career in our life. And that is just not the case. If you're in a position where you may not be wanting to be at the job any longer, make the switch. And it's tough to say that, right? It's hard because there's so many fears that will pop up. Well, what if I'm not good enough? And those were the exact same things I was thinking about when I was on my bed. And I was like, it wasn't whether Alice was going to leave me or not. It was, am I desirable? Am I enough? Will people still want me, like me, trust me? And those were very personal to me because it was showing me how I was seeing myself in that moment. Hey everybody, Lori here to talk about my experiences as a LinkedIn learning instructor. Last summer, I had this cool opportunity from LinkedIn Learning to record two courses. They gave me an opportunity to teach anything I wanted to teach, and I said, okay, I have two ideas. The first is on self-leadership, which is the art and science of individual accountability. And the second course I wanna teach is on proactively managing conflict as an employee. When you feel like you have no power and you're constantly fighting with a boss, what do you do? Well, I've taught a course on that. So because I went through this awesome and amazing LinkedIn experience, they gave me a free code that I can give to you. 
If you want to try LinkedIn Learning out for 30 days free, no obligation to see my courses on proactively managing conflict or self-leadership or anybody else's courses, head on over to bit.ly forward slash LinkedIn PRHR. That's bit.ly forward slash LinkedIn PRHR, all one word, all lowercase, to get 30 days of LinkedIn Learning on me no strings attached, so you can bet on yourself and win. As any athlete does, we test ourselves. We almost go to battle, right? We say, I want this big audacious thing, and I'm going to work real hard to get there. And even if I don't, it's going to be worthwhile because I'm going to give it all it takes and I'm going to put it all on the line, all the metaphors, right, and do it. And I know this as a long distance runner myself. I climb up skyscrapers, right, for charity. I do all these crazy things with my body, not knowing that I'll do it and meet the goals that I set out for myself, but trying my damnedest to get there and believing in myself, right? So that's hard enough when you are fully physically able, but you're an amputee, right? You've got additional complexities. I would imagine that that drive to do that has carried over to your professional life. So talk to me a little bit about grit, determination, and resilience. I've seen a lot of the determination. And when somebody actually catches on to the vision that's before them. And I've seen a lot go and remain in their fear, right? I always say when our truth outweighs our fear, we'll commit to a courageous life. And what's happened is many people are trying to satisfy other individuals or society's dictating to them what they believe they can or cannot do. And that is something that's really hard to get over. But once you get a glimpse of the vision of what might be possible, then there comes a time where the individual has to commit to making the jump, whatever that jump is, across the chasm. And no one can do that for you. It's only you, only you can do it. I don't care how many books you read, the 10 points of this, the five points of that, no one can do it for you. You have to commit to the jump. And that was something I had to learn that it was me that had to make this choice for that. And it was this glimpse of a vision that something was actually possible for me that outweighed the fear that was going to hold me back. There's so many military service members, and I did a lot of work with the military at Walter Reed Brook Army Medical Center and then San Diego Naval Medical Center. And what I saw in answering your question to the grit was when these service members healed together, they began challenging each other to excel. And that was a powerful moment because you could either challenge each other and you go down, the, you know, go spiral down, but they were, I mean... It was brutal <laughs> yeah, because when you get service members together, you know, Air Force versus Army versus Marines versus it is absolutely brutal. So I will give, you know, the crassness of it. Now, this is the disability community. So you got your listeners made like, oh, oh, my gosh, it went that deep. Absolutely. So some of the above knee amputees and below knee amputees would have these competitions. The above knees don't have a knee unit. So I'm an above knee amputee. Therefore, I have to have an artificial knee to help me walk. A below knee still has the knee unit so they can walk pretty well. I'll just put on a, a prosthetic that's below the knee and they can walk. So above knees called below knees, paper cuts. That is, <laughs> oh, paper, you're just a paper cut. Uh, so it is, it's, it's brutal. And they are going at it all the time. And they're just pushing each other to see where they can elevate that individual to. It's a phenomenal thing. And can we take that and flip it into our own daily lives? And how can we push ourselves and have that grit determination, not just for ourselves, but bring a community of that together to excel? You know, what I hate is this weird 
pretentious dialogue that happens in our society where people compare themselves to someone in the disabled community or in a minority community and they say, well, you know, I've got all my limbs or I'm not an African-American woman. I should be able to do better. And I think that's the wrong motivating factor. You just talked about this internal drive, but I want to talk about ableism for a moment because there is this weird thing that happens in our society where we see someone who's above the knee, below the knee, missing an arm, right? Facial disfigurement. And we automatically think of them as other. Right. And so what has that experience been like for you? That was and still remains one of the greatest challenges of my work that I do going forward in, in the disability community is fighting against ableism. And you can't really see it because it comes off a lot of times as microaggressions. But if you think about it, you know, in the HR community, okay, we're going to hire somebody and the hiring practice is on the second floor of the building. And the person that's coming in, we don't know because we don't know the resume or whatever, is using a wheelchair to get there. But the elevator's out that day. And so they can't get to the second floor. So the immediate thing in a person's mind is, well, if they can't even get to the second floor, then how are they going to do this? job. Instead of us saying, we probably should have all of these interviews on the first floor, or we can say something else that's going to make the person that's coming in not have the barrier be the elevator, but actually what's on their resume and what they're capable of. How many people with disabilities said, look, if I could just work from home, you will have to even modify the office for me. Oh no, we really need you to come into our office setting space because we want you to be a part of the team. You know, we need you to be present. How many of us are working from home right now? I know. What a lie. What a lie we have right. been telling the community. I mean, it was just a lie for convenience, a lie to make ourselves feel better. I, I'm not exactly sure, but I know that going forward, we have a real opportunity to include people in the workforce in a different way. So I know you're passionate about really rethinking the world of work, really challenging brands to elevate themselves. So talk a little bit about the work you're doing today. Well, one of the things in the disability community is around the American Association with People with Disabilities, and I serve on their board of directors. And Ted Kennedy Jr. is our chair. And one of the things he says is the next frontier is around employment. Because when you think about the Americans with Disabilities Act, 30 years, we have curb cutouts, we have ramps, we have bridges, all these things to help with access. But we don't have is the needle moving in employment. So we're still sitting at about 70.5%, 71% unemployment for people with disabilities that are able to actually work. So there was uh, an report that happened, I think, Q4 of 2018. And they did a major study and said, okay, we're going to look at this with a fine tooth comb with the disability employment index and those companies that were in it. Company A hires, retains, promotes people with disabilities in the workplace. Company B does not. Company A outperforms company B two to one to shareholder returns. So this is an economic thing. If you're not engage with people with disabilities, you are losing money to your competitor who is. That is just a bare bones fact. So it caused the comptroller, Tom Dinopoli of New York State, to say, okay, I got trillions of dollars in pension funds. I'm going to invest with companies A's, not company B's. And he didn't do it in Washington, D.C. He said it on the New York Stock Exchange with Voya in the room and Accenture and all these amazing companies. And you could have heard a pin drop and everybody's scrambling, shifting to say, how can we change our company so we can keep those dollars in our bank accounts. There's also so many places to go with that because, you know, companies can have a disability strategy, right, to attract and retain talent. But what kind of disabilities? Because we also have invisible disabilities in our society, right? So I think there's just so many opportunities to really rethink the word inclusion and to think about our workforce differently. But it starts with how we define talent. 
and how we go after talent. Do you have any thoughts around how we define talent, how we attract talent, and how we can get a little bit better at it? Well, one of the things that I share, not necessarily in the disability community, but just in general itself, is there are these others, and that's why I have this matrix or this kind of journey from fear to freedom. In the first bucket, second tier, is around other people. Other people believing for us what we can or cannot do, which is based upon what they believe they could or could not do if they were in our situation. Again, it goes back to us. How have I been raised? What's my my values do I have around this when I see this group of individuals what's my immediate visceral response to it and if I'm in a position of authority and power do I see beyond that for the actual talent that's there or am I interjecting my bias into that situation and if I am how then can I adjust and bring in tools that will help me see more clearly the better talent that we need to put on the team well I love where this conversation around talent access ability is headed I know you're doing some really good work work today right now that we want to highlight. So talk to me a little bit about where your career is today at this moment. Oh my goodness. You know, there is so much in the world. A lot of times I say America, North America is on a, a little island, right? We, we kind of cocoon ourselves around our values and systems and things. And, and when you get the chance to expand and visit other countries, you begin to see what amazing talent is actually out there. Once we make that commitment, now the work really begins to not just help others, but help ourselves climb. Like I said earlier, right, it wasn't to see the Paralympic Games. It was to just stand up on my foot for the first time for 15 seconds. And that's where the work begins. And will we commit ourselves that deeply to the work to make sure we are getting the best talent on board in our organizations? Because here's what's happening. The world is open and we're seeing that I can get talent from anywhere in the world. It does not have to be in the U.S. market, because if I find somebody that can actually do the work and is talented and they just happen to live in Uganda or live over in India and they can do the work, I want them on my team. So talent market is global now. It's open. Clubhouse is a new platform that's out there right now. It's an audio only platform and it is amazing. And people are having conversations with each other in a global environment. So you can talk to a Malcolm Gladwell, an amazing individual on this platform and have conversations about how did they do it? How did they build it? And challenge them on some of their work. And it's real time conversations. It is one of the most amazing things. And so that is where people are finding talent right now because they're getting people on their podcasts or they're saying, how can we connect and have a relationship in our businesses? It's phenomenal. So if people want to learn more about you, want to work with you, want to tell their corporate stories or their individual stories a little bit better, where can they go? How do they find you? And should they just hang out on Clubhouse all day long? <laughs> Don't hang out on Clubhouse all day long. <laughs> but the best way to find me is johnregister.com. Johnregister.com. Just like it sounds, I'm on all social media platforms pretty much. And you can just find me out there. If you go to johnregister.com, all the social media platforms that I'm on are out there. And tell us a little bit about your new book. So the new book is 10 Power Stories to Impact Any Leader, Journal Your Way to Leadership Success. And I wrote this during the pandemic because I wanted business owners, business leadership, those that were having to make decisions to be able to tell their story journeys. When a crisis comes, I want them to be able to have their own stories. So it's journal your way to leadership success because you can journal after each one of my starter stories. You can journal your own stories, what comes up in your own mind that you can now then tell to the people that you are leading. Well, I really enjoyed learning about your career journey, learning about what you offer to the world, and also hearing 
Yet again, the case for Clubhouse, something that I am trying to avoid because I don't have enough hours in the day as it is. So maybe I'll make a presence on there. I don't know. What do you think? Do I need to get on Clubhouse? I think that Clubhouse is the next thing because it's very small right now, even though they're like 5 million users. And if you can establish a presence on there early, then maybe there's some things that can happen. I love it. Good advice. Great advice. Well, thanks again for being a guest on Punk Rock HR. I love it. Thank you for having me. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show today. For more information, including show notes and links, you can head on over to punkrockhr.com. And if you like what you heard today, head on over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star review. Now that's all for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR.